Hello everyone. I hope you're having an amazing day. I know I am. I am recording this episode in my backyard. So if you hear some birds, you might hear some dog barks. My dog is also currently eating right now. So you might hear some background noises, but I just decided it was such a beautiful day today that I wanted to be outside while I did my work. And it is also very pertinent to what we're talking about today. So last time we talked about backyard habitat and how to make your backyard friendlier towards wildlife. And this week we are specifically going to talk about backyard mammals, at least mammals that are about chipmunk size and bigger. And some of the research that I was a part of that looked at mammals in backyards and compared them at different development zones and in the wild. We're going to go over some of the mammals we find in backyards, at least in the eastern United States, like in the D.C. Raleigh area, so Virginia and North Carolina. And then at the end, I am going to talk about some, um, not backyard animals, but schoolyard animals, some animals that we found on camera traps through working with schools, K through 12 schools, literally all over the world. Well, not all over the world in terms of every country, but spanning the globe. We worked with four countries and a fifth one joined us, but it is my dream to have it all over the world. We're going to conquer the world with camera traps, the tool that we use to study mammals. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump right into it. One more final, final thing. I released my Confusion to Clarity course this past December, and I got some feedback from you guys that it just wasn't a good time, and for some of you, it was out of your budget range. So I wanted to make this course acceptable, accessible to more people. I also did a gigantic oopsies with my email list, and long story short, there was a conflict in between emails and subscriber confirmation. So people weren't getting the emails about this course, even though they signed up for the video series. So what I'm doing for the rest of January is I am making the recordings of this course available for purchase, and it's going to be for $127. So in December, it did have group coaching and stuff, but it was $4.95. So this is a really big, deep discount. And I'm doing this because this is really all of the, 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 meat and potatoes that I want to give you that you guys need to know before you start this career. So this is for January only. So I hope you sign up today to get the help you need. Hi, I'm Dr. Stephanie Shuttler, a wildlife biologist who's learned throughout her career studying animals that science alone cannot save species. We need you. In the Fancy Scientist podcast, you'll learn about fun animals, conservation tips, and science advice, all while breaking stereotypes about what a scientist looks like. Let's get started. These guys, the mammals, for most of them, they're pretty hard to see in your backyard, but they are there. I'm going to tell you about a study we did that shows that they are there. But 
when you think about animals in your backyard, birds are a really obvious one, and you might have some easy to spot mammals like, and I'm going to refer to here in the eastern United States, because that's where I live in North Carolina, and that's where our research was conducted. So I am sorry if you're international and I keep saying here, but that's where I'm referring to. So you might see eastern gray squirrels are pretty common to see, and white-tailed deer are pretty common to see in backyards too. To be honest, though, most of the mammals that live in your backyard are more difficult to see. So there's several reasons for that. And we're only going to talk about some animals today. But the first reason is that a lot of mammals live underground or they live in the leaf litter. So it's really difficult to see them. So that's going to be your small mammals. So things like like moles and different rodent species, voles, shrews, they're going to be difficult to see. And we're not going to talk about those today. Then there are the flying mammals, bats, and those can be, you can see them. I've actually seen bats growing up in my backyard, see them flying overhead. And I see them sometimes here too in my backyard in Raleigh, but they're a little bit more difficult to identify. And of course they come out at night. So if it, once it gets dark, it's really difficult to see those bats. Actually, a cool thing is I did this post on on tequila and there's a few species of bats that pollinate the blue agave plant which you we which um, people make tequila from and there are some really great photos on iNaturalist of these different bats coming to people's hummingbird feeders at night and they have incredible photos of them i'll put a link to in the show notes to that blog post so you can look at the the beautiful photos so after bats and the small mammals, that's le- that leaves the rest of the mammals. And these are the mammals that, that I study with camera traps. And most of these mammals you don't see or you don't see that often. And there's a couple of reasons for that. So the, the one that people usually get right away is that they're camouflaged pretty well. And I always use an example of a fawn. If you look on the internet, or I'll put it in the show notes too, for photos of fawns, they are camouflaged so well into the forest floor, even if they're out in the middle of, of the open. I've seen photos of fawns just being amongst an, an open dried needle bed from, from pine trees, and they're just out in the open, and you it's difficult to see the, the fawn. It's amazing how much they camouflage. So a lot of these animals, they are around us, and they probably see us, but we don't see them. Another example I love to use, this isn't here in North Carolina, but it happened to me when I was in Kenya. We, my, my boyfriend at the time and I were on a safari and we, he loved birds. So we, we stopped and we were trying to identify a bird species. And because he loved birds so much, this is where, this is where I got my, my love of birds from, although I am not hardcore like most people are or most a lot of birders are so we were stopped for about like I don't know 10 minutes trying to identify this bird and then literally just like two or three meters in front of our car to the to the side a leopard stands up and neither of us saw it and he is Kenyan too he is really good at spotting wildlife 
But I was just so amazed that it was blended in there so well. I've I've also had other leopards pointed out to me in the distance, like it's been resting in areas, and even on things like open rocks. And I look and I can't see it, and then finally it jumps out. But again, it's just so amazing how how well camouflaged these animals are. So ma- animals, they they avoid us. They're scared of people for the most part, or mammals are. You might see deer. You might see, see bunnies and squirrels, but the other ones are much harder to see. And the other reason, this reason people don't think of as much, is that a lot of mammals are nocturnal, meaning they only come out at night. So they are there in your backyard, but it, but difficult to see unless you stay up all night and are are out there with a with a spotlight looking for them. And there was actually a study maybe a couple of years ago or a year ago that mammals across the globe have become more nocturnal, even if they are diurnal animals or crepuscular animals, which means active during the daytime, and the latter means active at dusk and dawn. But, but mammals are, are shifting to be more nocturnal despite their, their true activity patterns. And this is influenced because of humans. So humans are diurnal. We're out in the daytime for most of the part, or most of us are. And, and mammals have started to shift their activity patterns to be more nocturnal to avoid humans, or as one mean to avoid humans. How do you study animals then that are well camouflaged and they mostly are active at night? Well, we use camera traps. They are so much fun. You can purchase one. They are just amazing. And they are, so they're real cameras and they're triggered by heat and motion and you strap them on a tree. We leave our cameras up for three weeks. This is the, the minimum amount of time to, cast, to um, photograph the most amount of species on average. And we set our camera traps up at knee height. So we're able to get the animals that are the smaller animals that are close to the ground as well as the larger animals. And when I say we, I mean e-mammal. E-mammal is a, a citizen science or community science project that I worked on in my postdoc at the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences. It is in conjunction with the Smithsonian too. So the Smithsonian and the, the museum, they run eMammal together. It's, it's both of us working together. These cameras are just so amazing. And I love to tell this story. One of our, our first volunteers, we actually, this was actually before I was there, but he, this, this study took part, place in a protected area in a state park. And this person went to that state park every weekend, and he was like, you know, there's not there's no animals there, but there's not the type of animals that that you would expect to find. And on his very first camera trap, he got this gorgeous photo of a coyote looking right into the camera. So the animals are there. They know about you. We also have some really cool camera trap sequences of there's this one of a mama bear and her cub, and the, and the mom bear is like 
is like steps out onto the trail and this is after somebody I think it was like a jogger jogs by and steps out and looks both ways and then crosses with her cub I have a photo sequence from Kenya where two people leave a trail and then a hyena follows them the hyena actually goes the opposite direction so don't worry it's okay but it's just so cool to see like how close we are to animals and we don't even realize it so we used citizen science for this project and i am trying to change my language from citizen science to community science because citizen science is actually exclusive and it turns off people who are are not citizens into thinking that they can't do it and that that is not true and the word citizen actually just really means that you you live in an area doesn't necessarily mean that you are a legal citizen but because it is such a charged word here in the united states I am shifting my language to community science. So if I say citizen science, please forgive me. I'm still I'm still learning and I'm still trying to change. So we use community science and in community science, you work with volunteers and they they can help in in different aspects of the project and to different degrees, but basically they are helping with real scientific research. So in our project, we worked with them to set up camera traps and they of course set them up in their backyards. And this is super cool from a scientific perspective because if you think about a lot of the science out there so much of it is done in 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 protected areas like national parks state parks and these private little pieces of habitat people's backyards or in some cases they have big backyards are pieces that were missing and from the last podcast episode i explained that these habitats are really important for connecting these protected areas and also animals just live in these habitats regardless of having a protected area some animals might just use your backyard or they might use several yards to make up their habitat or use that in conjunction with other green spaces so this is something that really hasn't been studied that much and urban ecology the field of studying of living things within the urban environment is actually a a more recent phenomenon historically scientists or at least ecologists and wildlife biologists we've always been like going to these far off places but there's so much still to discover here right underneath our noses for some of these animals too they are moving back to areas where they haven't been. For example, in Chicago, there are coyotes living in legit downtown Chicago. And Chicago has been developed for a very long time. So these coyotes have moved back into that space. What we wanted to know as part of the eMammal research team is the difference between the the camera trap sized mammals so that so the the mammals that could be caught on camera traps so this is about a chipmunk size and bigger and how that community so how the the different species and the number of species varied with increasing urbanization 
we worked with community scientists to set up these camera traps in their backyards. And we had people in suburban areas, exurban areas, rural areas. And then we set up camera traps in wild areas where, which acted as a control or acted as a more natural state as much as we can compared to the backyards. We did this study in both Raleigh and in Washington, D.C. And in D.C., we had some more urban sites, although this was much harder to do because for urban sites, it's harder to make it more conspicuous, the camera trap more conspicuous, so people don't take them. So we just we just didn't have as much urban data as compared to the other sites. We had thousands of camera trap locations. So if you can imagine... A city as like a circle and then each of these development zones concentric circles around the city so we had all these different camera trap locations around the city center and we were pretty shocked by what we found in general the narrative with human development in animals is that species declines diversity declines abundance declines with increasing development But in our case, we actually did not find that pattern. We found no significant differences between abundance between the suburban areas with the wild areas. Those are the the most two extremes. And even the urban areas when we included them. But um, we don't have as many urban sites. This was pretty shocking that there were no differences we were we were really surprised by this and our we, we ran some analyses and our model results showed that what predicted mammal abundance was these green spaces and they could be really small it didn't have to be like these big protected areas by any means just as long as there were enough of these little green spaces then these mammal species could persist Okay, so now I'm going to walk you through the different mammals that we found here in Raleigh. I'm going to start out with the species we photographed the most frequently. Can you guess which species that was? I will give you a second to think about it. It is drumroll. One of these days I'll get an assistant to help me edit the podcast and they can add in fancy sound effects like drum rolls. It is white-tailed deer. So usually people guess white-tailed deer or the second most um, sighted animal, which was the gray squirrel. So white-tailed deer accounted for nearly half of our camera trap photos. And part of this might be that they just have a higher detectability rate because they're so large, it's easier for them to trigger the camera trap. And gray squirrels were number two at about a quarter of the, the photos. So no, no huge surprises there. So some other backyard camera trap critters that we found were red and gray fox. I love both of those those species are so beautiful you can tell them apart because although this this sounds dumb gray fox are mostly gray and red fox are mostly red but if you get them on camera trap you can't see color unless you well you, you could have a flash camera but we recommend not using a flash camera trap because 
it can deter animals from coming back. So we use infrared uh, camera trap flashes, which take black and white photos. But red foxes, they have black legs and a white tail tip. And, and gray foxes can do have red on them, and they can be more reddish color. And then also, I've seen people post photos, and, and we get them too under camera trap, of foxes that have mange. And it can be difficult to tell them apart unless you know the color patterning, patterning well. And then the gray fox, they're obviously grayish, more, usually more grayish, and they have like a black stripe going down their back. Sometimes it's very subtle. The gray fox also has more of a cat-like face, and the red fox has more of a dog-like face. So we found more gray foxes here in Raleigh than we did red foxes, and in D.C., vice versa, more red foxes than gray foxes. Why? We don't really know. It's a mystery and for future scientists to figure out. Then the next species, I don't think these are in any particular order, is the eastern cottontail. So that's that's not that surprising. It is a very common species in backyards. They love open areas. And here in North Carolina, we have a total of three different rabbit species. We have the Appalachian cottontail and the, the marsh rabbit, some of which are designated by location, but there's overlapping locations with the eastern cottontail. And I have a whole blog post on this, how you can tell the rabbits apart. The next mammal on my list is a chipmunk. I've mentioned them several times already. Raleigh is pretty a cool is a pretty cool place to see chipmunks because they have a splotchy splotchy range here in Raleigh. So there's some edging effects that are not clear exactly what causes it yet. So some areas have chipmunks and other areas don't. I have them in my backyard. I love them. And with my new puppy, one day he killed one. I was so upset. <sighs> my other dog, I have, I have, I have another dog, but I also had another dog, and she passed away. They never get wildlife, so I was pretty bummed. But I put the chipmunk in the freezer, and it went to the museum, so it will now be a specimen there. I need to do an episode on museums because museums have all these different collections of of animals and scientists preserve them so we can use them to look back in time. So that chipmunk is now, it's probably still in the freezer, but one day it will be prepped to be a specimen. Next, we have coyotes, another cool animal. I have a whole podcast episode devoted to coyotes and some about coyote-deer interactions too with another study I conducted. And then after I go through the animals, I'm going to talk about which which were where, which were found in which different types of development zones, and if there were any differences between the species. Coyotes are followed by fox squirrels. These are a larger squirrel species than the eastern gray squirrel. We don't really get them here in Raleigh at all. Actually, we don't get them here in Raleigh, but we did get some more outside the city. So most of the squirrels we get on camera trap and you see are eastern gray squirrels. Fox squirrels are larger, which unless you're, you're really trained at looking them, it can be difficult to tell them apart just from size. And, but fox squirrels tend to have some pretty funky color variations. 
they can be black they can have like like the one i'm looking at right now is black and gray they can be reddish colors so if you see more coloration it usually tends to be a fox squirrel but not necessarily not exclusively after fox squirrel we have woodchucks or groundhogs and it's funny because i come from buffalo new york and we see them all the time there they're constantly on the sides of roads and here in Raleigh, we're actually on the edge of their range. So we get woodchucks, but we don't really get them that frequently. So they're a pretty infrequent visitor. Yeah, this is definitely not in order now because next on my list, I have, to no one's surprise, raccoons, aka the trash panda. I don't like that term though, because you know what? I think raccoons deserve more dignity than that. But raccoons are very well adapted to urban settings, so it is no surprise at all that we got raccoons on our camera trap. We also got opossums. Opossums get the Virginia opossum. Opossums get kind of a bad rap because, I don't know, people just think they're kind of like like radish looking, I think, and or like they just don't look that 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 good because they have like these pink exposed tails and kind of funny faces, but I personally think they are really cute. And Virginia opossums are super cool because they are are our only marsupial. So you got to love them. Plus, they have a prehensile tail. So that means it can wrap around things kind of like a monkey's tail. And we've seen them on camera trap have leaves in, in their tail. And the first time we saw it, it looked like it was like a growth or something behind this this possum's butt. We didn't realize at first it was carrying leaves. But that's what they do. They bunch up leaves and they curl them in their tail. And then they carry them to, to make their little nests. The last species that we got on camera trap regularly, these were, these were species I believe we got at least 10 times, is the bobcat. And bobcats are the only wild cat we have here. I have I have podcasts on this too about eastern cougars and that they are extinct here in the eastern United States, although people debate me fiercely on it. I have a YouTube video on Black Panther specifically, and people say that I don't know what I'm talking about, that I am not in the woods that much, so I don't know. And whenever I ask for photos, they never have photos. Finally, somebody recently sent me photos and they were definitely house cats. So we do have bobcats here in North Carolina, but not cougars, aka puma, aka mountain lion. And bobcats are pretty infrequent on the camera trap, as you'll find out next when I discuss how they varied, how the species varied according to the different development zones. Which animals were found in which zones? So I am looking at a figure that Ariel made, my, my lab mate, Ariel Parsons, and this is breaking down the number of detections. So a detection is basically when an animal triggers the camera trap and it's an individual and the camera trap usually re-triggers taking multiple photos of it. But that's that's counts as one detection. And we group anything within a minute of each other. So if it's if you see an opossum and 
it is in a photo at two seconds or for two seconds and then again 10 seconds later that's going to count as one detection unless there's something going on in the photo that we can clearly count we can clearly see that it's two different individuals so what we found is that actually most of these animals or most of these species were found more frequently in the suburban and exurban environments and the animals that were found 50-50 were between the, between those two and the rural wild areas were deer actually they were about 50% in suburban exurban 50% in rural and wild cottontail um, bunnies cottontail rabbits and coyotes too and really the only species that were found predominantly in the rural or wild areas were the fox squirrel they were actually mostly found in wild and exurban areas and bobcats we rarely get bobcats in suburban areas so out of all the species they're they're doing they're doing well and they're able to survive in suburban habitats but the one that seems to be most negatively affected from urbanization is the bobcat this is interesting because there are definitely urban populations of bobcats. There are some populations I know in Texas and I believe in California. So it's interesting why 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 those bobcats have um, adapted to urbanization, but ours here in North Carolina don't don't seem to have really. It's pretty cool that we found out that these mammals could persist and, and seemingly thrive with human development. However, I don't want to give the impression that development is by any means good for animals or doesn't affect animals. The animals that we get on our camera trap, they tend to be animals that have already adapted to urbanization. And if we had our full suite of mammals here, even camera trappable mammals like like cougars and like wolves, we most likely would see those numbers decrease with increasing urbanization. And that's what you see across, or that's what we would imagine you would see across other cities as well. So we've already removed those large carnivores. Large carnivores used, tend to be the most susceptible animals to an increasing human footprint. And then of course, other taxonomic groups suffer differently too like amphibians and reptiles and birds they all behave differently i know urbanization is particularly affects or negatively affects amphibians because often wetlands are disturbed and undeveloped and not and the habitat is not modified in a way that is suitable for amphibian life or breeding anymore just wanted to take a few minutes to talk about what we found on our school camera traps. So we worked with teachers in India, Mexico, here in North Carolina, and Kenya. And honestly, when we first started this project, we were nervous that we weren't really going to get anything except for maybe stray cats, maybe people walking their dogs, and maybe things like rats. But when we got the data back, we started getting the pictures taken in, we were amazed at the results. So these camera traps were set up as part of students' curriculum 
part of their science class. So they set up the camera traps. They collected the SD cards that hold the camera trap images. And they used our software to upload photos and identify the species they thought were in the photos. We verify all the species. And this is the same process that we use for the adult volunteers, too. And we got some amazing photographs of animals. Kids ended up being really great citizen scientists, community scientists. And actually, the rejection rate of the camera traps, so they they have to follow our protocols in order to be accepted as e-mammal data. This is true for both adults and children. And they actually had the same rejection rate, so very few very few deployments or sets of cameras were rejected and it was only about six percent in both groups me that is just so cool i love this project i love the fact that kids were great camera trappers and i love all the species that we found so what were some of those cool species well here in north carolina we had all the species that i talked about already and actually this is when we first started to detect the patterns of, oh, I didn't mention this. We actually found higher abundance in the suburban areas than we did in the wild areas. And this is when we first, in, in, a, in the previous study I was talking about, and this is when we first started to detect this pattern because I was getting the school camera trap data back and I started comparing it to Umstead Park, which is a suburban park here in Raleigh, most of the schools were actually suburban schools. So they weren't even these like really rural schools. And when comparing the two, the North Carolina schools had higher detection rates of animals. So on average, more individuals per day across the different species, except for white-tailed deer. And Umstead white-tailed deer had a higher detection rate. So we were seeing the foxes, the coyotes, them having higher detection rates. And I just thought that was so cool. Again, a lot of these schools are nothing um, special in terms of like having special habitat. One of the schools was across the street from a very developed area. It has an outdoor mall and just a very tiny patch of trees. It's honestly difficult to find good places to put camera traps there. And they got animals like foxes and coyotes on the camera traps. We had a suburban group participate in Asheville, North Carolina, and they were lucky to photograph a black bear on their camera trap, which was awesome. Black bears are a conservation success story here in North Carolina. They, a long time ago, they used to be threatened with extinction in the state. And the Wildlife Resources, the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission designated protected areas for bears and they rebounded. And now we actually have the highest density of black bears in eastern North Carolina in the entire world. Across all of the countries, we actually collectively photographed 83 native species. And 12 of these species were on the IUCN red list for, for threatened and endangered species. So this is the, the worldwide list that sets conservation statuses of animals across international borders or state borders. And actually, I think that number has gone up now. 
not because we have more data and got different species, but because some of the species that we had in our camera traps have now been listed to be endangered. So I know elephants have been officially divided into their separate species. The African elephants have been and the forest elephant is critically endangered, and I believe the savanna elephant is now endangered. So unfortunately, these animals are listed, but I just think it's really cool that, that kids photographed endangered species around their school grounds. The endangered species all came from either India or Kenya. I have a bunch of blog posts with photographs of all of the coolest animals documented from these camera traps that you can visit. I will link it in the show notes, but I just wanted to talk about a couple of species that that were notable, that were some of my favorites. So just going through some of the endangered species, we had grevy zebra. We, we got this frequently on camera traps in Kenya. And grevy zebra, they are endemic to Kenya, or they might be, and I, I can't forget their exact range, but they're mostly in Kenya. There might be a few individuals in Tanzania. But endemic means that they are only found in that place in the world. So they're endangered species. They live alongside common zebra, which are not endangered. But there's only a couple of thousand of gravy zebra in the world, and they're frequently on our camera traps. Also in Kenya, we got African wild dogs, which are another endangered species. That was pretty cool. We got leopards all the time, hyenas all the time, elephants, which are now an endangered species. It was really cool to see hippos out of the water. I loved seeing those photographs. It's also fun to see giraffes. They were extremely common, although usually we only got their knees. And then probably my favorite photo to Kenya is a critically endangered species, the black rhino. And we had a sequence on our camera trap of a mom with a younger black rhino following behind it, munching along. And again, these were on schools just right outside of their schools these were rural schools but still it's pretty cool to have kids photograph critically endangered species like rhinos in mexico we got cool animals like ocelots we also had some overlap with mexico and the united states in terms of the species diversity so animals like coyotes and gray foxes were found in in both places mexico we actually had a, a high detection rate for omnivores which usually you get more herbivores on camera traps probably oh we also got puma in mexico but probably my favorite photos were of the jaguarundi. And this is an animal that most people don't know about. They're actually, um, they're not endangered or anything, but they are just rarely seen. And they're uh, a cat species. They are about knee height. They're larger than a house cat. They have these really funny, like, smushed faces. They can come in two different color morphs, black and red. And we had both of them on the camera trap. They are just so cool looking. We actually had kittens. One of the Jagarundis had kittens. And we had photos of both a, a red and a black kitten in the same camera trap photo. That was, that was pretty cool. And then finally, in India, we had so many cool photos. Lots of sambar deers, lots of, 
languor monkeys, leopards, different types of mongoose. We got a pangolin. That was so cool. That was really, really cool. Pangolins, they're, they're made up of several species. I believe there's nine of them. Fun fact, I actually dressed up as a pangolin for Halloween one year because I wanted, I always dress up as an animal costume and I wanted to draw attention to them. But pangolin, they're currently, they're the most highly trafficked animal in the world and they're, they're sought after for their scales, which are used in traditional Chinese medicine. But they are being killed at unsustainable rates and they're all the species, I believe all the species are endangered or at least threatened. So it was pretty cool to see a pangolin on the camera trap gowers which are these like big like bull looking animals they are gorgeous but my favorite animal that we photographed on the camera traps was tigers this was so cool we had multiple detections of tigers and because tigers you can tell individuals apart most animals you can't but tigers they have unique fingerprints in their stripes and same thing with animals like zebras and spotted animals like, like like jaguars, leopards. All those animals have, they can be identified individually by their unique markings. So we photographed multiple instances of tigers and different individuals as well. I think we counted at least seven individuals. So the school was located near Tiger Reserve, but still that was really cool. And one of the the great things about these school camera traps is that I like like I did with Umstead in North Carolina, I I compared the species diversity to or the species richness and number of species to to protected areas that were close to our school locations. And in all of the cases except for Kenya they were they were pretty comparable so that was really cool and for the tiger data we actually photographed more tigers than than another study found in a tiger reserve so these areas outside of protected areas are so so important for wildlife I do want to add with the Kenya camera traps that we didn't have that many schools participate. Unfortunately, we had a lot of thefts, a lot of destruction with the Kenya camera traps. And the study that we were comparing it to had a lot of data. So that's probably a big reason why we didn't get as many photos. The Kenya camera traps, we actually there's actually a lot of variation. And you could really see the impact of habitat on species. The 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 photos at the locations which are really degraded from overgrazing, there's a lot of goats, sheep, cows in Kenya. So those areas were pretty barren. There wasn't a lot of grass. And you didn't get a lot of wild species either, native species. But in the areas that, that had more of their natural habitat intact, we got tons of species. So I encourage you to go online and visit the show notes and look at all these really beautiful photos of animals from around the world that are captured by amazing kid community scientists. Thank you so much for listening today and I hope you have a great day. I hope you get outside. I hope you order camera trap and I hope you set one up in your backyard. Even if your backyard's little, I guarantee you will find some really cool animals. And if you do this, 
post your photos on social media, tag me in them. I'd love to see what you find. Bye guys. See you next time. If you liked this episode, care about wildlife, care about conservation, or know somebody who is interested in going into wildlife biology careers, please share this episode. You can also rate and review my podcast that really helps people find it. My goal is to spread messages of conservation and kindness for wildlife and to help people navigate wildlife biology careers. Rating and reviewing my podcast really helps other people find it. If you have questions or show ideas, you can find me at fancyscientist.com. My social media handles are at fancyscientist. On Instagram, there's an underscore between fancy and scientist. You can also send an email to hello at fancyscientist.com. If you're an aspiring wildlife biologist, ecologist, or zoologist, you can join me every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Facebook Live, where I answer different career questions. You can also ask me questions on the spot. I'm here for you. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate every single one of you. I am so grateful for you. I hope you have an amazing day. Be kind to animals and be kind to each other.